0: The viewpoint, eight to ten PM, turning conventional wisdom on its head. Songezo Mapete on SAFM. We're talking about the national state of disaster and what the possible outcomes from the command council meeting could be. If there is an extension, what might it entail? If it is done away with? Will it mean the end of social distancing and the death of a vaccination drive that has been a battling to get a favourable favorable response, at least somewhat, in the region of 60% of those who could otherwise be vaccinated are not vaccinated? Let's talk to a health advocate who is no stranger to this platform, Dr. José Letlape. Dada Letlape, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good evening to you and to the listeners. Let's start speculating. What can we probably or possibly hear tomorrow?
1: Well, I hope what we would hear would be a reduction of the restrictions, in particular for the sporting and entertainment world, that we increase the number of people that can be in open air stadiums and events, still maintaining some social distancing, maybe a 30 to 50% capacity of the stadium, a second seat free. Uh, people that are vaccinated, um, being the first, being allowed to get back to those events, so that it it could provide the momentum and incentives for people to get vaccinated. And that that part of the economy can also be rejuvenated. Remember, you know, if you think of soccer events, stadiums, there's the informal businesses, the ladies that sell food out there. There's a lot of people that are the missing middle, that don't qualify for the grant because they don't have official businesses but are now out of pocket. So that that aspect of the informal economy or the formal township economies must also be given a chance to come back. So I'm just hoping that there will be announcements along those lines. What I hope will not come through It's something that will give people the sense that COVID is gone. When you see the resurgence in Asia, in China, in Hong Kong, the resurgence in Brazil, and that most uh, scientists say we should expect uh, uh, another wave uh, in two months or so. We just don't know what that wave will bring for us. So that that remains in the minds of South Africans, that COVID is still on this planet.
0: Can I ask potentially something which you might not have anticipated, but are certainly you are in a better position than most who would even be listening to speak to? And I'm I'm following up just because you started to speak about some of the moral issues associated with these restrictions and the thinking that people might believe because there's a lifting, if you like, of the restrictions. Therefore, COVID has suddenly gone with those restrictions. And, and, and this is this continued conversation around vaccination and the language that has been used dangerous language I might even proffer, terms like anti-vaxxers, where people simply do not want to vaccinate, not necessarily that they are advocating for people not to vaccinate. And if you have a term anti-vaxxer, I don't know what its opposite would be for those who sponsor vaccinations and why even at that level those who sponsor vaccinations are seen in a positive light And those who attach the reference anti-vaxxers are seen in a negative light. I'm asking this question against what first the president said around vaccinations, that nobody would be forced to take vaccinations, even though that is just the theory. In practice, it is fast becoming very difficult to access spaces that one would easily have accessed or took for granted before anything was said about vaccinations now your job is attached to a vaccine entering certain spaces for public purposes sometimes is attached to a vaccine for instance certain universities have a hundred percent or zero tolerance to non-vaccinated person and and the fact that there's a constitutional provision that says your body is your body and no province of the government do you wish to share anything in relation to that
1: I think that is an area where we could have done better. But let me start by saying, as a physician, we do not force people to have any health intervention that they choose not to have. If they are of sound mind and body, they are allowed to refuse therapies. Our duty is to educate them give them the information, and hope they make an informed decision. But fundamental to the practice of medicine is to respect the patient's wishes. The problem comes when your wishes can impact on the health of others. For example, if we have a life-saving treatment, you can refuse the treatment but then the only life at stake is your life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When there are issues where your decision has an impact on others, it complicates matters. But our position as physicians would still be to educate so that people can do the right thing.
0: let me get to it. You are a political activist, you are a health activist. You are somebody whose heart is in the right place, as it were. And many of our conversations with you have been around the public interest. The answer, I mean, rather the question is rather a direct and frankly simple one, not that it doesn't have complicated issues to contend with. Should we be at a point where people are being forced to vaccinate, if not because there's a deliberate instruction and in law that is express, but the subtleties that are attached ultimately making people have to vaccinate are we headed in the right direction in terms of the clinical aspects associated with mandatory vaccinations one and two and especially our Constitution what it promises and the history as a nation that we have which when we move in certain directions start offering remnants of what we are trying to move away from what should be then, if you like, the government's position and everybody else following suit on vaccinations? I'm asking this because you're an activist. You know the complicatedness we, of these we, things. Yeah, what I would support would be the original stance of the
1: government that was articulated by the president that we will educate, we will promote vaccines, that no one would be forced to vaccinate. And I'd expect the state to protect ordinary citizens, from coercive actions of powerful people, like employers, like discovery, like the universities, so that that right of people to choose is preserved. I think there's there's much, much more that we we could have done in terms of educating. To go back to what you asked, it is unfortunate when people get labelled that if you are of a different opinion, you are then labelled because of popular opinion. And that is an irresponsible thing to happen in South Africa, given our background, given where we come from. And I will state clear, but Mm. I do not support vaccine mandates. I do not support pejorative terms where people are called anti this Why don't we say people are pro-vaccine, others choose not to vaccine? Because that's the choice that they make for themselves. They are not going out on a campaign to get other people to join them or not to vaccinate. If it's a decision that I make for me, it should be respected. But I shouldn't be going out there to poison other people's minds. Because I may have reasons why I do not one to take the vaccine. Maybe I haven't been convinced. Maybe people have not spoken to me properly. I haven't seen this issue of preventable deaths in terms of the vaccine. And we should show those issues and provide the evidence. But this notion that you have universities that are going to lock people out, coming from apartheid era, where people were forced to do things for themselves, would be a failure. Of
0: the democratic seat. let's take a call anonymous in kzn it's been a while since we've heard from her welcome back anonymous Yes, hoping everything is well with you good evening
2: uh, ev- ev- everything is well Sangha. so i don't i don't forget to miss you uh, to listen to you every day without failing just that i got a uh, you know airtime problem <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, thankful that from. we
0: are over such problems anonymous. Okay.
2: Just now, when spectrum over, I suppose our airtime will come down. And, and, and furthermore, yes. uh, you know, you you used to have a, a share call, and you don't have share call anymore. So now we have to pay, like, full cost to talk to you.
0: You should probably get Lesejo's number and send her callbacks every time you want to talk to us. But go for it, please. Your thoughts.
2: I do. that. But she did that uh, today. She did that for me today. Uh, okay, oh, I just she want to say, me. you know, I, I, when you go to the hospital, you know, a lady advertised in the local paper that she vets. And her hair is falling off in chunks. And the brush is, uh, you can see chunks of hair on her brush after she vaxxed. She's got beautiful, long hair. And um, and she, uh, after she so, so many things can happen in so many different ways. And I haven't vexed as yet. But then, and because I feel my immune system is quite strong, so I don't need the vaccine. But my problem is, when we go to the hospital, to the local hospitals, why do they not do the proper COVID-19 test? instead of the temperature test, then you'll tell us whether we have COVID or, or not. So we can take action uh, uh, quickly. Like this way now they're just doing the temperature test. And that's not 100% guaranteed. Well, so could thank- you ask your yeah,
0: sure. why
2: guest Yeah, sure, my guest is listening. Declining?
0: my guest certainly is listening i mean he's the former chairperson stroke president of the health professions council so he would have an inclination as to what perhaps the policy position would be or should be data Letlap.
1: if you remember when we started there were issues of uh, track and trace uh, going into communities all contact being isolated being tested and that was found to be too expensive and not really effective So the issue is when you have symptoms, that's when there might be an indication for testing. You don't know how to do testing just for the sake of testing. So the issue of the temperature is something that is not even being done effectively. I mean, I've been to many places where those temperatures would say your temperature is 31. And and it's meaningless. It's about having symptoms beyond just the temperature. Cough, sore throat, loss of taste. All the things that we know that are associated with the common food body aches and, you know stomach aches gastric disturbances, all those things that would constitute the common symptoms of a viral infection and under those t- circumstances, then testing should be done if you're going to go into where you're going to have contact, like you'll see uh, sports people mm. you know you know the joke of his soccer where you're going to be in contact with others. They can't be physical distancing. Nobody's wearing a mask. You need to ensure that all those people are in a bubble and everybody is negative. When people test positive, you know, they get isolated. If too many members in the team test positive, the team is allowed to postpone games. So test on a need basis because it will just be a waste of resources to test needlessly. There's also asymptomatic infections and community infections that occur, so there's latent immunity in the community. So we test for specific things. For example, if you're going to be admitted in hospital, you'll be going next to other patients. You'll be in contact with healthcare practitioners. They'll come in close proximity to you. Mm-hmm. So a test will be mandatory in mm-hmm. those circumstances. Mm-hmm. You'll be tested before you get admitted to hospital, even if you're going for routine surgery. I just so also think it's a prudent thing to under do. Under specific circumstances, it's not wise to just be testing willy need.
0: It's also a resource issue probably, but
1: can we just yes, engage... Yes, you're going to fly, you're getting into a plane, it's a small confined space that you're going to be in for 1 to 13 hours, depending on the length of the flight. You'll be in airports, etc., etc. So there, you know, for, to open the aviation, it's mandatory to, mm. to have tests.
0: We're certainly not talking for about let's Sorry, let me ask this to question. To There's this conversation about a fifth wave potentially coming through to hit the country, while well, some are saying as early as next month, and I suppose when we talk about a fifth wave, it's almost inevitable given the precedent of the previous four. It's just a question of when and how dangerous it would be. Do you have comments in relation to that? Oh, yes.
1: I mean, I'm a most uh, expert in the field, and time to say the fifth wave will be here. What we do not know is the severity of the fifth wave. Fifth if, if you see our fourth wave was different, it was Omicron, highly infectious, but with less terminal disease. Uh, so we don't know what the new wave will be bringing, what type of variant will drive the new wave. So well. there's a lot that we don't know, and we just have to wait and see what
0: happens. How does government or particularly the Department of Health together with its major stakeholders, education, social development in particular, reconfigure themselves now? Let's imagine the president just literally wipes the slate clean and we are from tomorrow or from Wednesday, as the case may be, day one of zero lockdown. In other words, life is back to normal as we once knew it pre-2019. Certain things would have changed forever in the Department of Health and imagin- imaginably at social development and basic education at least, together with others. But how now, from a health perspective anyway, has the game changed forever?
1: I think it would be a travesty for us to go back to day zero and what we were doing prior to March 2019. Um, and, and and it would be sad. Uh, March 2020, sorry because COVID started in December uh, 2019. The lessons that are there, it's the simple things. There was COVID, SARS, we called it, in 2002, 2003. And what was seen was that when people carried on with masking, it reduced the number of cases, the severity, and the number of deaths of the common flu season. So the issues of hygiene The issues of keeping distance should become our new social norms so that we can curb the spread of the diseases. And as we increase access to care and we take this improved hygiene as the new norm, we we will be able to curb the spread of TB. We will be able to reduce the incidence of diarrheal diseases amongst children because of just improved hygiene. Isn't that what has been missed in this?
0: this? Isn't this what has been missed in this entire two-year period, where everything has been strictly around COVID, without using, if you like, the period and some of the advocacy in health to equally promote things for the benefit of South Africa's fight against? Tuberculosis, HIV and AIDS, among other things, because now you're suggesting that the behavioral norms that would have been of the last two years should simply carry on because it has a way of impacting positively in other health fights. But for the last two years, it hasn't been said. I mean, the last time I heard TB was. I don't know when, it was too long ago, but I can tell you just about every single day I hear something to do with COVID-19. I don't hear as much in relation to HIV and AIDS, which is still a serious pandemic that the world is seized with. Why have we lost the plot in relation to, whilst focusing on COVID-19, but not since now suddenly taking everything else off the table and focusing on what has appeared to me, at least, a focus on COVID-19? That's a final comment.
1: I think the, the, the greatest problem that we have is that Things were driven by fear-mongering rather than by educating and looking at the holistic aspect. And as you rightfully say, looking at what have we learned, what benefits do we have in the health system. I mean, we still, basic, addressing socioeconomic conditions will improve how we deal with TB and HIV. and AIDS, the issues of overcrowding, the issues of proper ventilation where people live are critical even for keeping the spread of things like TV. So we should make those connections and we should be looking at these issues on a holistic basis. Mm. The problem is that there was this paranoia about this virus that was going to wipe everybody out, etc., etc. There was a lot of fear that was brought with COVID. And that's why when people were saying, you know, I'm of a different thought. They were then labelled. We yeah. even never had safe spaces for engagement and disagreeing as healthcare professionals.
0: That's because a travesty. On if one. you had a
1: different opinion, you were labelled. You are anti-this or you are anti-that, which was not helpful.
0: Very well. I can't take it further. We certainly shall look at what the president has to say tomorrow. And... We do hope that you'll be on standby sometime next week if something materially different has gone on against what would have been your anticipation or even the nation's hope and anticipation. But as always, thank you so much for your time and your experience, Nathalie Tlappi.
1: As I say, thank you very much. Uh, People, we have to make responsible decisions. COVID is still here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ways to protect yourself is free of charge. Don't go to gatherings that you don't need to go to physical distancing, important, important, the
0: habit of hand-washing. Couldn't have said it better myself. Jose Tlape, health activist, 2148. SAFM.